Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Chatting in the City podcast. It is I, Boaz. Um, I was going to make a joke about 90s hip hop, but I'm too tired. I don't care anymore. Because <laughs> you know how they always go, yes, yes, y'all, whatever, and they yeah. start rhyming or whatever. But yeah, I'm here with a special guest, Fatu. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having um, me. Yeah, so I wanted to bring you on to ask you about some of the work that you're doing, the research that you're doing uh, regarding cognitive accessibility. I was just telling you, I've never, I never heard about it before. Um, so I'm just trying to just tell us a little bit about that, about that. Yeah, I mean, you're honestly not the first person who's heard, who's not heard of cognitive accessibility. When we're talking about accessibility, a lot of times it's mostly like vision, motor, you know, uh, blindness, right. all that kind of stuff where people kind of don't really focus on the cognitive. And I think that's because cognitive accessibility itself has not, and cognitive disabilities have not been well-defined. Um, so that's an area of research that's currently um, undergoing. It's a very broad field, so it's kind of hard to pinpoint, but overall, um, cognitive accessibility would be to make the environment, whether it's technology, um, the environment around you, science, et cetera, accessible for people of all cognitive uh, abilities. So it could be, well, all cognitive abilities, everyone, but more specifically, um, Alzheimer's, intellectual disabilities, um, autism, among others. So when we're talking about cognitive disability, it's very much an umbrella term for um, even a mental health. It, mental illness will fall under a cognitive disability under certain terms. So it's very, it's a very broad um, definition, I would say. Yeah, I mean, with mental health, I guess the most obvious one that I can think of right now is somebody who has, let's say, I don't know, schizophrenia and like they're essentially psychosis, right? How do you help yeah. someone like that uh, have access to actually to actually be able to use a, a computer, especially now because a person like that can't really go to their psychiatrist or the therapist. Exactly. And they might have exactly. to do, you know, therapy like this. So if they're, mm -hmm. you know, if they're essentially not, you know, present in the world as we see yeah. it, how do they, you know, access, you know, technology that we have now? And um, yeah. Actually, like, I guess I want to take you back a little bit to, um, I'm taking a course on um, the philosophy of cognitive science. Okay. And it's kind of a lot of, a lot of yeah, a lot of the, interesting. a lot of, I guess a lot of the ideas that, you know, go along with your work kind of come into it. And like, we're trying to, like you said, it's hard to, to define cognitive accessibility. And yeah. it kind of goes back to the idea that it's hard to define cognition in a way that, because yeah. I mean, we have cognition and we know what it's like, but it's hard to define in the sense where you can actually make it have an operational definition and then actually try mm -hmm. to implement it in let's say AI or something like that. Yeah and it's because especially with tech everyone's levels of cognition are so different and so variable and I guess the way I like to describe it is kind of like a DJ slider right so you have mm -hmm. all these different sliders and depending on the person some are higher some are lower so it's very hard to kind of pinpoint or create a definition or something specific when cognition is so variable from person to person and we still don't know a lot about the brain mm. so it's a challenge <laughs> we don't know we don't know anything, about, know the anything brain. about the it's brain it's funny like I, I I'm in psychology and like it's just it's funny like going to every class and it's like this is what we know and it's basically nothing it's like hey yeah. thanks prof I, uh, yeah. I, I learned a lot today it's just yeah. <laughs> in the class, I mean, a lot of the arguments is, you know, how to define, um, how do you even go about creating AI? How do you go about defining how our minds work? 
right? And obviously there's, yeah. there's like the classical, the classical picture or they call it the classical picture where it's like they have symbol systems, physical symbol systems. Yeah. In the sense that you have, let's say a belief and it's discrete in your mind. And then that belief causes you to do things and sort of these symbol systems, basically they, they're causally potent. They say, you know, so in the sense that if yeah. you believe something, you'll do something, you know, that refers to that belief. Right. And yeah. so on like that. And then, you know, that's obviously the old and then you get into like connectionism, artificial neural networks and stuff like that. But it's all just it's very I don't know much. I mean, the class just started, so we haven't even really mm -hmm. gotten to the whole the whole thing. But it just feels to me that it's almost like we're going at it in the wrong way in the sense that how do you try to, to create what we have right in terms of cognition over, let's say. I don't but know. see, I think personally that that is the issue. Okay. That is why we're not succeeding is because we are trying to create what we already have. When what we already have, our brains were flawed. Mm -hmm. um, and I think one really good example of that is how people who are designing these technologies, AI and stuff, will bring in their own biases and their own belief systems and stuff like that. We can see that, ugh, like racist algorithms. Algorithms are just filled, filled with racial biases because oftentimes they will be designed by straight, able-bodied white men in Silicon Valley that have a ton of money and that are using these supercomputers without considerations of the users. And they will not only bring in their own implicit biases into the technology, but society's implicit biases. So I'm sure you've seen like the whole, if you Google um, professional hairstyles, you're gonna see a black woman. All results are black women compared to if you uh, Google professional hairstyles, they're gonna get like all white women. And that's again, because the people who create that algorithm, they maybe they didn't do it on purpose. It's just a subconscious thing, but they brought in their own sets of beliefs and prejudices and our societal beliefs into that algorithm, which ended up just being a mirror of our society, which is problematic. Same with predictive right. policing. So I think that by trying to recreate um, I guess, cognition in the way that we as humans have it, inevitably, we are going to include our own biases and our own um, beliefs and cultures to, to that technology. And is that really something that can be used by everyone? Not really. No. So I think the direction is maybe to kind of think a different way when it comes to AI. Right that's the hard question how do you think a different way yeah. because like you said yeah. right our minds and the way we think it's already flawed and whatever so i guess relating to that question how do you go about developing technology for people who are you know with cognitive disability when let's yeah. say most people in the world don't have cognitive disabilities right just speaking mm -hmm. generally speaking right yeah how do you so go if you look about at it? canada for example 25 percent of the population approximately um has well six five and over has some sort of cognitive disability and I think the first, I think also one thing I want to mention when it comes to access to technology, a lot, one problem is that a lot of, a big part of this population does not have access to technology, mostly because of cost. So to, we all know technology is very expensive um, and of socioeconomic um, and a bunch of reasons that kind of like go together that creates this sort of digital divide between us um, non-cognitively disabled people and people with cognitive disability. So I think the first point is actually trying to get them to have the technology in their hands or the proper technology. And then once they have the technology, you need to include them from the start. Because like us as designers, researchers, we don't have their lived experience. So 
you really want to include people with cognitive disabilities and really have a wide variety of input, different people of different ages, uh, races, cultural backgrounds, so that you can have a very diverse and holistic view of what you're trying to do. And when you're iterating your technology, you have to make sure that you're going to double check with them at every point to make sure that their needs are being met and that you're actually designing for them and not just what you think that they need. So I guess yeah. the main step would be like inclusion. Yeah, it's making sure they're included yeah. in every single step, like you said. Yeah. So then a follow-up question to that is how do you get them access, right? Like you said, the big thing is they don't have access, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get them access? So right now there are some government programs like ODSB that give money to people with cognitive disabilities, but there isn't something specifically for technology, not that I've seen. Um, so I think that would actually be a good initiative, to, especially with COVID right now, people are stuck at home. They would have to do like their therapy appointments, uh, doctor's appointments via video chat. So some sort of government initiative and having more funds so that we can have better access. These people can have better access to technology. That would be, I think that's, that would be the, the big step. I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to think. I, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get and my what's mind. Very, um, you know, like CERB. So people on ODSB monthly, they actually get less than CERB. So it's like, if you're worried about all your like daily living activities, like your rent and whatever, you just, you're not even thinking about buying a phone or a computer and stuff like that. Um, and I guess another way also would be to give better support for people with disabilities in the workplace so they can keep their jobs for longer and actually also include them in the workplace and adapt the workplace so that they can do things and have a better income and eventually be able to have a good standard of living. Right. I guess like the, it goes back to what I was saying before and what you were saying, the fact that we're so limited and flawed in a way is that because most people don't have cognitive disabilities, we don't really think about people who do, right? Yeah. Because a lot of this stuff, it's, you know, it's sort of what's your life like, what's your world like? And then, you know, basically how are you going to go about making your, your life better? You don't even think about what's that person like, you know, yeah. they can't see how, you know, how are they supposed to try to use a phone yeah. if they can't see it, right? Yeah. And I guess trying to get that, like you said, trying to actually get programs started and try to get that to politicians, it's also not easy because, well, how are you going to convince a politician that they need to take care of this person who can't see and they can't use a phone? Because I mean, you could say, well, yeah. you know, if you get if you get them this technology, they'll be able to vote, actually. They might actually vote mm -hmm. for you and stuff like that. So that's a way to yeah. get at them. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's rough. It is. It is. And especially like what worries me right now with uh, COVID is those that do have access to technology is the huge misinformation okay. that we see. It's like, again, from a cognitive point of view, someone that has a cognitive disability, if they're just scrolling on Facebook, they might not know what is good information, what is bad information, especially when it comes to vaccines and stuff right now. So it's like, how do we also make sure that when they are using that technology, they're being safe, secure, and that, you know, they're getting access to reputable information. It's it's hard and it involves, I think, different fields from all over and just a bunch of different brilliant minds that need to get together and think really hard about this. Right. Um, I guess like in the research that you're doing, how much are people, like you said, coming in from different fields to try to help? Because I think 
that's the only way forward in terms of research. Like mm -hmm. everybody's tired of that whole, you're doing this. So you stick in your yeah. little, in your little <coughs> cubicle, you just look at what you can see. So how much are yeah. people coming in from different areas to try to help out? So our social enterprise right now that we're creating is uh, very multidisciplinary. And that was the whole goal of the project. So we have experts in business. We have experts in HR. We have experts cognitive accessibility. We have um, developers, engineers. So we have people from a bunch of different fields that are trying to come together to kind of create this enterprise that will try to answer those questions and give resources to those po politicians mm. so they can like make those hard decisions. But yeah, um, our team is pretty transdisciplinary and pretty multidisciplinary, yeah. Um, it, it is hard sometimes to kind of make your point and make, make your point not understood, but kind of put in the value of your point in your field when you're in a multidisciplinary team. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that's, that's the way forward because you can't expect one person in one field to fix everything. There's so many layers and so many levels that you just need to broaden your scope and involve as many people, as many qualified people as you can. Yeah, that's, a, that's, I was actually going to ask about that too. Like how, how hard is it to actually get, you know, everybody on the same page? Cause you might have people coming in with this sort of using different language to, to refer to the same thing, but just come at it from mm -hmm. different places. So if you're talking, yeah. you know, if somebody's coming in from let's say neuroscience and they're talking to somebody who's just been in tech development their whole life, the use yeah. of, they're talking about the same thing, but they're talking about it in different ways using different language, right? And like you said, yeah, what are the meetings like? And is there anything that can actually help those? Yeah, so we, uh, we actually wrote a paper on, on kind of our experience developing um, a medication management app for people with cognitive disabilities. Um, we're in the middle of testing the app right now. And basically the app, it's just kind of a reminder app. So people can enter the medication appointments and stuff like that. And then they can just get simple reminders like, hey, it's time to take your meds. Um, so that team is pretty multidisciplinary. And it was, again, hard to reconcile the needs and the feasibility. So you have researchers being like, we need this, 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 and that's what's gonna make the app better. But then you have the developers and then like product owners that are like, well, from a development point of view, for a technical point of view, we can't really do that. And then you have people in the business being like, well, that costs so much money. So then it's a lot of compromising. And yeah, I think it's a lot of compromising and a lot of just trying to merge the ideas to come to a final end product that will be the best for the user but yeah it was I think again when everyone has just very different we have the same goal but kind of very different ways of getting there it kind of gets really tough especially when it comes to financial considerations and stuff like that because we know there's not a lot of money in research <laughs> I'm sure there's a guy not like <laughs> sure there's, a, there's always one guy like yeah we're not doing that I'm the guy here yeah. I, I have the money I let you have the money we're not doing oh that. I remember in undergrad I started uh, my co-op at the government and my first day they're like yeah so we kind of ran out of money um so we don't have any money for the next like two weeks or reagents and stuff it's like so great and we literally had to go like to other labs and just like <laughs> beg for stuff it was and that's the government I mean so yeah it's just the money I think is the biggest the biggest hurdle Okay, well, then what about the private sector? Because they're the ones with the money, right? Well, that's the thing. We are trying to, that's the whole kind of goal of also the social enterprise, uh, connecting uh, research industry and academia 
because they do have the money. But again, for the private sector, they do have the money, but they want to keep it. So you have to show them the value in your research and find a way to um, tell them in layman's terms why investing in your research and your company will bring them money and will also benefit the greater good. But bring for them, them they want money. to see the dollar. Yeah, they want to see the dollar signs first, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's really, really sad when you think about it, how commercial uh, um, research is, but yeah. It's, just, uh, it's always funny to me thinking about like, because I mean, yes, you know, they have all these investors and people on the board who are involved. Uh, like it makes sense to a degree, but it's also like, I guess I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to say everybody was most people know that. Let's say if you this year you made two billion, next year you make three billion, right? What's the difference in terms of quality of life for, for your employers or even you, the the CEO, or whatever? Not much. Yeah. But you can just, you can do yet. just a little good in the world. Like nah, nah yeah. We gotta we gotta make five billion next year, maybe ten billion. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I think people just really need to realign their priorities, especially in the world that we live in right now. I think COVID has been such an eye opener to be like, oh shit, like this is messed up. <laughs> like everything's messed up. We kind of need to fix things. So maybe from now on, they'll like open their pockets. I hope, fingers crossed. Um, regarding COVID, how how has that sort of made you adjust your, your workflow and the way you approach work and how you, you know, I'm sure you're part of a lab, so you have lab members who you work with. Yeah. What's that been like? Um, it's been really hard to adjust uh, the schedules. I mean, I'm the youngest one in the team, so I have the most flexible schedule if people have children and families, so they have had a lot less time on their hands. So it's been a lot of adapting to kind of having other people delegate and maybe taking on a little bit more work and being more understanding that, you know, my lab mates have a different life situation than I do. Um, but yeah, everything has gone remotely. So I think it's just been a matter of ensuring that, you know, we're following like proper research data storing protocols, making sure everything's secure. Um, and I think the only hurdle we might potentially encounter will be for our uh, testing of our technology, our app and our Amazon Echo Dot, mm. because we'll have to do that remotely um, when ideally you want to be doing that in person. And we're going to be using Zoom, but again, like we don't, not all our participants, they all have cognitive disabilities. All of them don't have computers. Um, a lot of them just have cell phones because it is the most affor affordable option. Right. So, I mean, you ideally you want to see them in video, especially if you're um, evaluating the user experience of an app, you want to just kind of see the person's body language, where they're touching, their facial expressions, um, any nonverbal cues that they're not, I mean, you're in psychology, you know, any non-verbal cues that you're not going to get. Um, right. But I think our big fear is that they're just, they won't be able to use Zoom or Zoom will not be accessible for them and we'll have to do um, the interview over the phone, which means you're, you're losing quite a bit of valuable data that way. Um, so yeah, that's one thing I'm trying to brainstorm to see if there's, I don't know, like an accessible platform, if there's like something that they already use that they would be more comfortable with. But yeah, that's, I think that's gonna be tough to, to make sure that we get good data remotely. Is there a way to reach out to them and ask them what would be most accessible to them? For sure, yeah, uh, we have all the information. It's just that, again, you never know what can go down right. um, during the session remotely. Is the, is the internet gonna cut? Is their phone gonna die? There's just like so many 
unpredictable events that could happen compared to having in-person testing. Mm. Um, so that's caused me a little bit nervous, but I have hope that, I mean, regardless, we're going to get data and it's going to be good. So fingers crossed. We also got the vaccine. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's actually one thing I've been thinking about. And um, I haven't seen any kind of pamphlets or any information from the government on vaccines targeted towards people with cognitive disabilities because mm. all the information is pretty complex. I mean, your everyday people are still not understanding the vaccine and that it's safe. So imagine someone with a cognitive disability that is even more prone to misinformation. Right. I mean, I think that's actually a big letdown from the government's part to not have cognitively accessible COVID information. I mean, they they deserve to have the information as much as we do, and they're even more vulnerable than we are. I mean, in my opinion, people with disabilities should be getting the vaccine first, especially right. since there's a lot of comorbidities with people with disabilities. Um, so you can have cognitive disability and a visual disability, multiple cognitive disabilities, motor function disability with cognitive. So yeah, I feel like they have been pretty left out and not really talked about enough when it comes to COVID. And that's pretty disappointing. Yeah, that's wild. I mean, I was talking to my mom the other day. She's a nurse, so she has to get the vaccine. She's getting it soon. And yeah. she, we we're just talking about basically what they told her at work. And it, was, it wasn't much. Just like, okay, yeah. vaccine's here. The, these are the details. Read about it. You have questions. Come back to us. It's like, wait, 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 wait yeah. what? But yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, especially with uh, the Black community, if you have someone that's Black and disabled, there's but reasonably so, there's a distrust of Western medicine and vaccines in the Black community. So if you have someone who's Black and disabled, that's, again, even more distrust when it comes to the vaccine and healthcare system. Um, yeah. So for somebody like me who's trying to look into this stuff, because I don't, I, like I told you, I, I don't know anything. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm coming at it from, you know, basically as an outsider. What are some of the things I can look into? Some of the things that I can read, any books, stuff like that? Uh, yeah, actually, let me look up. There are two books that I would recommend. Um, I screenshot so many books and then, like, cannot find them. <laughs> actually sad so you read books on your phone I like screenshot the um, the covers like whenever uh, someone shares okay, it okay the cover I thought you were like, going Twitter. like I follow the uh, on Twitter uh, no no name the singer yes of course she has a Twitter bo a book club wow yeah so I'm part of the no name book club nice <laughs> so it's like every month every month there's like a book we'd be reading <laughs> black Twitter gets lit it's amazing <laughs> But yeah, so the first book is called Disability Visibility, yeah. First Person Stories from the 21st Century by Alice Wong. And the other one is Capitalism and Disability. I think those would be the good starting points um, for someone kind of getting into that. All right. I just wrote those down. I'll start looking into them once I can yeah. get past the freaking hours of books I already have to get through oh my don't god don't even get me started I'm like eyeing from the corner of my books I'm just like I don't want to <laughs> like also I'm in like computer science like this is math I just hate reading math man just like pages of equations like why why am I reading this because I'm not going to memorize it we have to understand so what's the point you have to feel it okay. 
okay, but me doing the problem, <laughs> I'm going to feel it. So why am I reading about some old man in like 1500 BC? And then like how he figured out that like, I don't know, a rock floated and had this equation. It's just, I don't know. I just find math, math readings stupid. <sighs> Uh, I don't even want to get into math. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not doing that. Um, before we go, uh, mm -hmm. I know you. You have to study. You got stuff to do. But um, yeah. So we started doing this little thing called the PSA. It's called promote, mm -hmm. share, and ask. So do you yeah. have anything to promote? Um. You've already promoted the book club, No Name Book Club. Yeah. I guess it would be the No Name Book Club and the two books. Yeah, I would highly recommend people to check out these two books. And listen to the especially, albums. Especially, yeah, and especially Disability Visibility. Uh, visibility. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I was going to say, people, if you're going to join the book club, make sure you've listened to the albums, right? Oh, Telephone yeah. and uh, Room yep. 25. Yep. Bump those, and then you can get into the book and club. Exactly. <laughs> um, share, share. Ugh, what do I want to share? Um, oh, yeah, I watched this uh, this documentary last week. Um hyper hyper normal no hyper normalization adam curtis and it's um which platform it's on youtube it's free on YouTube. youtube okay oh yeah. awesome um he made it for bbc uh 2016 but then he just said oh, i'll okay. put it out for free whatever um but yeah it's it kind of digs into that tech sort of how tech has gotten us here where we are now he kind of goes mm -hmm. back to the 70s and he kind of 70s to like 2015 2016 around there it's really interesting but it's it's uh, it's a hard watch it's not very it's a it's a it's a very cynical view of tech yeah and where it's at where it's gotten us i like that uh, yeah it's I have two, a very cynical view of tech it's and two and a half hours inside, two and a half yeah. hours really depressing okay so uh, just <laughs> maybe watch like 20 minutes a day and just kind of yeah 20 minutes at a time but yeah i don't feel like the world is ending so yeah, if you're interested in that check that out adam curtis hyper normalization and yeah, do you have any questions to ask me? Um, what are you working on in the in the VTrack lab? Uh, what am I working on? Um, so I'm doing. I'm part of the. I'm working on uh, the mental health in Black communities. So there's okay. we had a study going on, just kind of probably the biggest study in campus. Was that the one uh, where you put posters all over the bathrooms in campus? I think so. Yeah. So looking at <laughs> the mental health of Black communities because we don't like most of the stuff that we have about the Black communities from the states right because they yeah. do most of the studies so we're trying to do more stuff here um and other stuff that i'm working on so there was that uh, working on the depression meta-analysis which we should be starting manuscript writing soon i think in black communities as well yeah yeah okay depression in black communities yeah um nice. and then substance abuse in black communities as well so those are the three things that i'm basically working on that is super interesting yeah super interesting especially since there's no data on black communities at all like i went to statscan to look on data to find uh people black people with i started calling to disabilities and then i was mm. like okay yeah, maybe disabilities and there's zero data you zero data we don't know how many black disabled people are in canada yeah, it's yeah. like great that so makes almost, a lot of sense yeah you know it's, that uh, makes a lot of fucking sense like sorry for swearing <laughs> i was gonna it say it just makes me so angry yeah, it's but you know you're doing the work that you're doing because of that and we're trying to do the work that we're doing because of that so slowly we'll get there for sure um yeah any other questions that was it all right well people thank you for listening um check out uh for two ads black and stem blk actually i'll probably add it right there 
under awesome. your uh, under your little box, Black and STEM. <laughs> um, she does a lot of good work. She, she has very entertaining stories if you're interested in that as well. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye.